Welcome to episode two of Pure Cinema. My name's Ryan Sauer, and uh, I've got somebody here with me. What's is it a name? leprechaun? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, this is just, I'm just talking about myself. Oh, okay, so it's the Brian Sauer show now, two episodes in. <laughs> exactly. And we've already established who the who the spotlight's going to be on, I get it. Clearly, clearly me. I get it. I get and who, it. who would you be, in case anyone's wondering? My name's Elric Kane. <laughs> Should enough. we do this whole thing again? <laughs> we could do. We could just leave it in, man. I think it's good. Right. I think people right. dig it. That's funny. Um, so what's up, Brian? You know, um, I'm really excited about uh, this show, and I hope uh, people have um, gone through their handshake fives and sent them to us, and continue to do so. Um, I hope people are checking out. And subscribing to the show on iTunes and leaving reviews and all that stuff that people beg for at the beginning of episodes and beginning of shows. Um, but but all in all, I really hope people like the show. That's my thing. So yeah, I feel like on. this show will start becoming clear what uh, the format is with this episode. Uh, like we started talking the other night, and I started realizing that it was kind of like uh, the idea of a almost like a video store. Well, it's you know it's ten o'clock at night right now when me and you are talking. It's like a, like we just finished a shift at a video store, <laughs> but but kept talking. <laughs> you know, yeah. like somebody came up to us asking for a few recommendations and we didn't want to turn off. And I feel like that's probably what the show is going to look like, um, you know, but with a little a little slightly more defined with our topics. Yeah, I liked that you came up with uh, like a video store for your ears. Yeah, I think that could work. And I think that's kind of what we're going to be doing if is is really like you say, if somebody walked into a video store and just stepped in the middle of a conversation of two clerks at the store talking about movies and movies to pair with other movies and stuff like that. It's really going to be that kind of loose environment for us. Conversational. And I think it's because we're filling the void of what we miss, you know? I mean, I miss not just going to video stores, which was uh, what I know a lot of my friends often talk about missing. I actually miss being behind the counter of the video store uh, and the feeling I got, I don't want to say of importance because it wasn't that, but there was an excitement to feeling like uh, you had a voice in helping people discover things or uh, highlight them. I, I've always loved that feeling. So I think it's probably the closest we'll get to that again. Yeah, that was huge for me, and I miss it a great deal. Um, not only the camaraderie between my fellow employees, uh, which is very special in a video store environment, but also just talking to the regulars, you know, um, <laughs> trying to recommend things unsuccessfully to people, and sometimes successfully. Um, I miss all that. I once had a woman, she took uh, every card out of her wallet and threw it at me, <laughs> flipped them right at me, every single card. She was so upset about a late fee that had nothing to do with me. And she just goes, and, and she, I kind of raised my eyebrow about a signature. Just I was like, oh, is that your signature? Just instinctively said something like that. And she goes, you don't believe me? And she started flicking every <laughs> single card at me as the single strangest moment of my video store life. <laughs> okay, so I'm just trying to picture this. So she grabs one card, flicks it, Grabs another yeah. card, so uh-huh. so it wasn't like five at once. It was like no, no, one at a time. Like wow, she was so. Yeah, I mean, she was. She had gotten herself into a state. I'll tell Oof. you that. Like she was, she was in a, and I just was looking at her like it was the craziest thing. And you know, I have I have evidence because there's somebody else who worked with me, <laughs> uh, and it was just like one of those crazy things. And I just, but video stores, you know, there I saw some weird things, you know, and especially back you know golden age video stores, not the probably the blockbuster variety where there's also a pornography section. Anyone who worked in a video store with another section into it that other room it's just a different world you oh, know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. and i mean that in terms of not being the worker so much as the kind of customers and the kind of things that would happen so it's 
it's the good life, man. I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. What are we talking about this week? What are we thinking about? We're going to well, try and do something. We we have sort of an idea for what this episode's going to be. What what do you think? Well, in general, I think we know that one of the formats we're going to be doing is um, we talk about a new movie that uh, is uh, hitting streaming or in theaters that we see, and we pair it with something that, as a double feature, with something where uh, we think would make for a great double feature. And that's and I wanted to kind of mention up front like what we think that means because I think like sometimes I think people often will go, "Oh, that'd make a great double feature," and what they're really saying is that is the exact same movie. Like they'll be like, oh, you know, oh, you're showing uh, there will be blood. Then you've got to show this, you know, giant. And you're like, oh, man. So you mean I have to sit through six hours of (laughs) fucking oil? You know what I mean? Like I like the whole I think the whole point of a double feature, a great double feature. And and I think usually New Beverly gets this is to complement the other film in some way. If you're going to watch these two films together, not just replicate the feeling of the other film, even though we all do it. Like I, I often will go, wow, that movie would pair so well. And then you think, eh, that'd be boring as shit. So, <laughs> so I do think, you know, I think coming up with that and, and I'll tell you something I didn't know. Fun little facts about these things that I found out on the Roger Corman. What the fuck episode on WTF with Mark Maron. That was a good um, one. I listened to that. I do recommend it was good, but uh, the B movie, and this is just, I'm surprised I didn't really think about it. I always just thought the B movie, you know, uh, was, you know, a cheaper, cheaper movie. I didn't know that they played second, but what I didn't really realize was, uh, cause, uh, Marin says you're the king of the B movies. He said, actually, I never made a B movie in my entire career. I never made a single B movie because the B movie is the, is a movie actually made with the exact purpose of being played second in the drive-in or double feature. Like it's actually made knowing it's going to be put in that second slot and so it's usually a lot cheaper a lot schlockier and he never he always made a pictures pictures that were meant for their own release and that's something i had never really uh known that distinction uh with the idea of a b movie and it and it leads leads to my favorite story that if you haven't heard this and i swear after this i'll i'll shut up um if if you've seen have you seen uh the thin blue line by errol mars i have indeed so I think that's one of the best documentaries ever. But uh, I, agree. I was showing it to a class recently, and I did not remember this part of this film because it's been you know a decade. That the killer, uh, well, the, the the guy and the person who's probably the killer in this story, uh, they go to the movies, they see the first movie, and the second film is Jack Hill's The Swinging Cheerleaders, which I think is a cool film. But the guy, the main guy who's been put in jail all this time, said ah, I thought it was a piece of shit, so I decided to leave. Had he not left, he never would have gone to jail, and he never would have gotten framed for murder had the Swinging Cheerleaders, the B movie, been a better film. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they show, they have clips of the movie, and I'm like, oh, man, I wonder if Jack Hill knows the story. And I asked uh, my friend Elijah Drenner, who works, you know, with, very closely with Jack, and he said, oh, yeah, he knows. And him and Morris even had a conversation, uh, not necessarily positive <laughs> about it. <laughs> Your goddamn so movie. Funny. But I mean, it's so funny to think like there's this movie out there that if it had been a better movie or more to the taste of this guy, he never would have gotten into all the trouble. That's oh. the power of the second movie of the double feature. <laughs> that is a that is a good setup for this. It is. Yeah, it felt it felt like the right way to go. But uh, in terms of our topic, yes, we decided we want uh, two episodes, second episode in. We wanted to talk about aliens and the idea of um, kind of first contact movies, but they won't all necessarily be that. Uh, because the first film you were going to look at was The Arrival. Yes, a very good movie. Um, I think we both probably would put it pretty high on 2016 releases for 
you know, overall quality. For sure. Um, and I, I really want to hear you say the director's name. I, I can't even <laughs> attempt it. I don't even uh, want to try. I'm going to guess it's uh, Denny Villanueva, but I'm sure I butchered the last name. Much better uh, than I would have done. He's a direct, you know, he's a director. I mean, one of the most interesting uh, visual directors to come out in the last uh, few years. I, I remember seeing, I wasn't aware of his foreign films when uh, I first found him, you know, through Prisoners. I remember uh, William Friedkin tweeting that it was the most tense film he had seen in years. That movie and is, so, wow, so good. It's so yeah, good. It's, it's one of the first films I started noticing Gyllenhaal as an adult actor. You know, there's an intensity to him in that, kind of a seriousness. Um, but then I saw Enemy, and Enemy just blew my mind. You know, I loved Enemy. It's good. That's that's one of those movies that my wife, um, my wife ain't so hot on, especially the ending. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite the response that she gave me to Synecdoche, New York, which I like quite a bit. But at the end of that, um, and I've told this story before, but not on this show. At the end of Syne- Synecdoche, New York, minor minor tangent. Um, my wife turned to me, and it looked it was as if we had had a fight during the movie and I didn't know about it <laughs> and she was getting ready to just about hit me. Like I, and I was like, did I say something during the movie that pissed her off? But then I realized she just hated the movie so much that she was very angry with me, but she had a similar reaction to enemy where she just thought the ending was so ridiculous that she was taken out. Yes. Yeah. See, I rewound that ending like 10 times. Like I've never, <laughs> I never do that to a movie. I just couldn't believe what I, you know, without spoilers, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. But then I do think it's a movie that, uh, requires you to run straight to the internet, you know, to read about it, not because you don't understand it, but because you're looking to kind of enrich that and deepen it. Cause you, you're like, okay, I get it, but what else is there? Yeah. And I think, I think that's exciting. I don't want all movies to be like that. But I love that, you know, every year something, a movie comes along in that vein. Um, but he's, you know what I like is he's making quite big movies and, and he's doing it by casting movie stars. Uh, and But making them incredibly artistic and uh, very singularly. I mean, Sicario is, you know, a pretty incredibly put together piece of filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's also this like emotional through line that he has um, in his films that is... I don't know, pretty remarkable. Um, and not in a way, I feel like there's emotional movies that just straight out drain you, that you watch them and you're just like, oh, that was just, uh, I'm, I'm exhausted. And then there's emotionally engaging movies um, like his films that you can feel a different kind of craftsmanship and I, I, I can't quite articulate it, but they all have an emotional core to them and that pulls you in and connects you and helps build in and continue the suspense that is often going on in the films. I really, there's something um, really humanistic about it. I, I can't, I can't again, put my finger on it, but I love it. I absolutely. Well, love I mean, it. putting it, putting it that way. I mean, I think in terms of films that deal with um, aliens or, you know, military, I mean, compared to things like body snatcher movies, it is, it's an emotional through line. It's what you're, you're perfectly uh, getting to what he does. Well, I mean, I, I remember sitting down to this film and I think uh, seven minutes in and I, I was by myself in the theater and I was, had tears running down my face. I can't remember the last time I would have had tears running down my face in a, that, uh, that short into a movie. Uh, you know, obviously we'll, we'll try to present this uh, spoiler free in a sense uh, because it's a film that has such a simple structural setup 
but that is what the essence of uh, the power of the movie is based around. Well, simple yet complex, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, one argument I, I got into, not, not got into, but that my wife and I had was that about the beginning. And again, we won't spoil anything, but there's a, there's a structural choice made that I felt like was a bit of a cheat. Um, and that didn't take me out of the movie, but it was something that I pondered for a while afterwards. Um, but it does, the movie does ask you to emotionally invest real early and that's a gamble and that's tough to do. And you need a good actor to engage with, to pull it off. And you, I don't know, you just need good filmmaking and, and he has both those things at his disposal and arrival. And, and so it works. Yeah. And I don't think it's a film that can be understood completely, uh, even when it first ends there there was moments like you're talking about with the structural thing i think probably on a second viewing if i watch it again that won't feel like a cheat it will feel completely like the only way it could have ever been put together as a guess at a guess yeah i think you're probably right i think you're probably right i just know sometimes i feel like movies do things where it feels like they're trying to set something up and make it feel a certain way and then you realize it's not that thing this is all very vague but um and and you feel like okay mm, all right i'll let it pass but it seems like you were trying to fool me a little bit but regardless um it's fascinating yeah, it, the whole movie th- or it's just trying to make you feel early to make you give a shit about an alien movie i think that could be part of it like it might be we might have reached a time where uh, films about this kind of thing have been you know like with contact and all these big hollywood films that often play this out a little and there, you aren't that emotionally engaged. Maybe as a, w- a way of getting you to care straight away, so you're in that mindset that it's that kind of movie, like a very real. Almost, uh, it's, I'd describe the first seven minutes as almost like a Terrence Malick um, Tree of Life kind of uh, photography, and you're just watching uh, Amy Adams and her daughter, you know, and it's just so intimate their relationship, the way it is kind of shown. That I think that could be part of the structural thing, but. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and you know, hopefully this won't be a, a giving anything away. But it's like a, what he's done with this movie is he's he's perfectly like married how how time works in cinema, right? With editing, which is what the structure is to relate to how the aliens' language works, which is it's directly about time, you know. And so when these two things are put together in a movie, even though they're kind of complex, he does it in a way that uh, feels so kind of effortless, and it just works as a movie. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, no, and I love the idea of the Malik opening. Upon reflection, I couldn't, I, I I couldn't think of another way to describe it. It's it's really, yeah, and it's kind of he kind of out Malik's Malik in a way, because I feel like in a Malik film, I don't get emotionally engaged real early. Um, I agree I, with that. I think Malik can get distracted easily. Yeah, and <laughs> He's I like, ooh trees <laughs> with light peeking behind ooh ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's very easily distracted. Um, and and so I, I think I often like, you know, as I'm sure you do, you settle in for a Malik film. You're like, okay, here we go. And it's not in a bad way, but just sort of like, I'm going to just kind of go with the flow and thus I may not be as emotionally engaged, maybe at all, but certainly not in the first seven minutes. Um, so the fact that this movie pulls that off is is pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, it's super concise. I think that's the difference. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And uh, you know, and I'm gonna you know, without getting political about it, I do think this is. I think when I was watching, I was like, man, this is the perfect film 
to be using sci-fi to dis- and which is what sci-fi and all these alien movies will be talking about probably they all often have this but this one's perfectly talking about how important you know communication and get being misunderstood is you know whether it's between uh alien species coming to visit or other nations interpreting what we mean and i think that's it's great when you can have a bigger message but not uh take away from the movie yeah because you know i'm definitely on the side of i don't give a shit if your movie has a message you know as long as it's a good movie right yeah you know who was it was it billy water who said if you want a message go to the post office or something (laughs) i can't remember what it was was one of those guys sounds like something he would say (laughs) one of those and i agree with that but i do think with sci-fi especially sci-fi uh really um it's always had a really satirical uh string to it you know through line and so i think this film uh is asking pretty big questions i'm actually really looking forward to seeing it again at some point because i was moved and i liked it a a lot but i think to love it i would have to see it again yeah i think i well you know, I kind of loved it the first time, and I think I'm going to love it more the second time. I know my wife loved, loved it, like said it was her favorite movie of the year. I don't know if it was my favorite. I have, and it will come up on the show, I have some other favorites from 2016, but um, it really hooked me. Um, and I, I think part of it, too, was that a lot of people said, you know, that thing that, that people say, which is like, oh, you got to pay attention. you got to pay attention because it gets complicated or it's, I think my son described it as trippy, if I if I recall. Um, but yeah, I mean, so then I think again when I'm told that, that I'm like, okay, movie, uh, <laughs> what are you get, what are you gonna show me? That, what you got? Exactly. Show me what you got? <laughs> exactly right. So then yeah. I'm then I'm engaged even more. I'm like, okay, I'm paying attention. I I see what's going on. Oh, I'm figuring this out. Um, it's not more complicated than you know than I can understand. Um, but it it definitely makes me perk up a little bit. And sometimes that's to a movie's detriment. Sometimes when somebody says that, then the movie ends up being not as smart as it thinks it is. And then I end up kind of being annoyed with the movie, but that didn't happen with this one. This one just was, I don't know, lyrical. And yet, um, I I don't know. It's, it's just not like too many movies that came out last year. Um, I know a lot of people talked it up and if you haven't seen it, we're probably not helping reduce the hype, but um, I highly recommend you, you give it a look. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, if, if you weren't sold on all of this, they nicknamed the two aliens Abbott and Costello. What more do you want? Oh, I man. mean, that shows some love right there, naming them after Abbott and Costello. Yeah, see, now, like, I'm I'm already engaged in the movie and, and kind of loving it, and then that happens, and I'm like, oh, movie. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was pretty great. Yeah, and also just the challenge of making, like, it's all about language, but they, you know, having to find something visual to make language instead of making it about words you make it about some visual symbol which you know totally uh, speaks to all the things cinema does well you know it's it's a really smart movie and i'll be honest i'm like terrified at the news that he has just gotten uh the the project of dune because every director <laughs> every director who gets that project is destroyed by it but i will say that if lynch hadn't been destroyed we wouldn't have had blue velvet so Maybe this is for the best. Maybe the timing with effects has finally caught up to him, and maybe that movie can actually work. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm not quite as nervous as you are, but it's either going to work or it won't. And then he'll move on to his next movie. And I, to be honest, he's one of the most exciting directors working for me right now. As far as the next movie that, like the Blade Runner thing, I, I'm not out of the gate excited about a remake. But with him helming it. 
you've got my attention, you know? Oh, totally. That's the thing that gets me because I love Blade Runner, but it's like, we don't need it. And, and to be honest, when you think about it, uh, if, 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 if the, the original cut makes any sense, you know, Harrison Ford's a robot. So, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> what the hell is he 70 years old for? So we'll see how they get through all that. But <laughs> I look forward to them explaining out of that hole. But, um, no, I, I think he's the reason to go to a movie like that. And, and I, I love that we are, I feel like we're getting back to a time where there are, are those voices that you would go to the movies just because that person made a film and that's to me always a golden period of when movies are at their best is when you don't care what genre they're working or what they're doing you it's just like having a star you know having a movie star it's the director filmmaker star absolutely yeah i mean i love to see uh a filmmaker with such a unique voice do well with his movies and then uh, you know obviously the next step is they get brought onto these big projects um, the only thing that I hope doesn't happen is that he moves away from making the movies, the kind of movies he's made thus far. You know, I mean, granted, he can make that to a degree inside of a studio project, but um, I'd much prefer to see another, you know, Prisoner, Prisoners or Sicario or Arrival um, once he gets out of this big Hollywood thing. You know, I hope I hope that he'll be continuing to make those kind of movies because well, those are really exciting. Or that he brings that intimacy to Blade Runner. Like if he can make Blade Runner something that you care about and feel the same way we felt about Arrival, that would be exciting. I agree. I agree. Although I I have to be honest in saying that as good as it might be, I still would prefer to see something from scratch as opposed to something that's a, a great filmmaker working inside of a studio slash uh, plot line model of either Dune or Blade Runner and having to make his magic work within that because I'd rather just open canvas, do what you're going to do is, is my thing. But I'm sure they'll be unique and interesting whatever he does. Yeah, and, and maybe he in the best, uh, a lot of the best filmmakers do do the uh, one for you, one for me uh, scenario. I think that's what Enemy was the little film he kind of made for himself in between and hopefully we see a little more, more of that so as your wife can be outraged. <laughs> Because nothing, nothing better than outraging your wife. Oh yes. Well, and by the way, I I should emphasize like I think Enemy is a really really interesting movie, and that everybody should give it a look. Uh, I didn't mean to play it off as something that should be you know not bothered with in any way. I, I think it's fascinating. It's definitely uh, of all the movies we're talking about here, that's the one I want to watch another time, um, the soonest. Yeah, me too. I mean, and, and I could tell um, there's this uh, Portuguese writer called Jose Saramago, who I, I don't read tons and tons of literature anymore at all, but that just happened to be a writer. He wrote that book, Blindness, who I was really into, and I'd read all his books. And when I was watching the movie, I was like, what? The, this reminds me so much of one of his books where there's like a duality, two characters who are the same person. And sure enough, it was basically based on it, which so I had no idea while I was watching it. So, you know, the guy's, the guy's well read. The guy, you know. Uh, Denny is uh, he's doing it right um, but he is not getting to choose what film we pair it with exactly we are here to pair with double feature I'm going to just tell you really quickly because it's only one line what I'm not pairing it with <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one particular film that and I bring it up because actually on the uh, projection booth podcast we, we did a, a very in-depth uh, look at Tarkovsky's stalker and one of the things I said on that show is that I actually kind of felt like uh, the arrival was a prequel to Stalker. Oh. Because in Stalker, in the world of Stalker, uh, it is mentioned that in the, you know, 20 years ago, uh, aliens had come 
they had left something in this area called the zone. And then ever since it's been kind of this weird magical slash toxic zone. And, you know, we never saw the aliens again. So it almost felt like if you watched arrival and they had left this thing and then, you know, 20 years later it, they'd created the zone, but that would be a boring as shit <laughs> double feature. <laughs> that would be, that would be six hours of pretty, uh, pretty grueling slog. So I have not gone that direction. Uh, but it is interesting. Well, what direction have you gone? I'm very curious to know. I went subtle. Uh, I think you'll appreciate this. So uh, the arrival is about communication and aliens. And I thought, what better film that's also about miscommunication and aliens than Mars Attacks. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I could literally not think of a film I'd rather watch after watching Arrival than Mars Attacks. That is a really, really good pairing, and and almost um, that film almost made my list for when we're talking about alien movies later. Um, so that's awesome that it's on that it's your actual pairing because uh, I really kind of did want to talk about it. It's a fucking wild movie, man. I've not seen it for a long time, and you know, it's, I feel I feel like we've lost Tim Burton a little bit. Like, and and I don't want to bag on him because I still think you know he's a wonderful artist and and I think he is making movies that a lot of people are liking. I, think I, public, I really like Frankenweenie. Like, I, I oh think, yeah, me too. That's that's perfect. That that's film. his last good one for me. But a lot of these these really big films that he's making, you know, just too heavily CGI and everything. But his vision is still there, so that actually kind of impresses me. Like his visual style and his palette has never changed, even in you know Alice in Wonderland and Dark Shadows. It's still there, so that's great. I, so I don't feel like we've lost him. I just am maybe disinterested in what he's doing right now. Mars Attacks is so wild. Uh, you know, everyone's in it. <laughs> like literally every actor we've grown up lover. I mean, even Rod Steiger's in this thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, even Joe Don Baker has a role uh, somewhere. Oh, in, uh, who I love. But I think I love it because I love the setup is kind of like the arrival of like, oh, we can communicate. This will be okay. <laughs> and then it just does the total opposite of what the arrival does. And it just goes, you know, complete bonkers, destruction. Uh, you know, let's kill the humans. And, I just love the way they look. I love how there's no no hint of realism. It's like it, it really is more of a cartoon uh, in his filmography, but it, it really is fun. And I, I genuinely think if you saw these two films back to back, A, you would have a great time, but I think you would probably uh, be able to still see some through lines and some interesting uh, connections with the genre. Well, I mean, one thing I love about the movie is that, you know, the idea of wise and benevolent aliens that have some great um intelligence some some great well wisdom to grant us uh is is always a thing and this movie plays completely these guys have nothing to offer except uh they want to kill everybody (laughs) really (laughs) and they have that uh great uh great uh character where she's the hippie uh warren Beatty's wife um (laughs) annette benning yeah annette benning's character and she uh she just you know is releasing the doves and you know (laughs) ready to just like embrace them for their to be saviors it's it's really it's really a lot of fun and i i want to picking it for this makes me want to rewatch that movie it makes me want to rewatch it too and it makes me want to show my daughter uh, like tomorrow um i just remember sitting in a theater and um all the stuff with lucas haas especially um he just made the international sign of the donut and yeah. and like that that shot of that whole herd of cows running on fire <laughs> yeah. was something that i was just like wow this doesn't feel like anything i've seen in a studio movie recently i i kind of love it 
Yeah, it is really cool when artists get a, are successful making a big movie, like he was with Batman, the Batman films, and then given just like, all right, go do your thing. And it doesn't always work. Sometimes it, you know, you get your uh, Heaven's Gate, you know, you get, a, or in terms of from a studio side, that's a failure, not necessarily creative, but you know, it's it's exciting because they have this big canvas to play with, and uh, when it works, it is just crazy fun. So yeah, so that's that's my one. Uh, you know, I hope somebody actually does it. And if anyone ever, does, we we will have to come up with a prize <laughs> in the long run of the show for people who actually do our double features and report back to us. Yeah, I'm very curious. What I it's a really great idea, and it really plays into the complementing of, uh, and it's a whole other feeling. It's not the same thing. I I think my double feature is a little bit more. I don't want to say of the same thing because um, it's sort of heady and and talky and stuff, um, but I don't feel like it's an identical, you know, movie. Um, but I really like your pairing, maybe better than mine. <laughs> oh no! Well, that's hey, that's gonna be the fun. We're gonna we're gonna learn. So uh, lay it on me. Okay, so uh, I picked a little movie that goes by a couple names. The one I always know it by is Quatermass in the Pit. Um, this is a Hammer film. Mm-hmm. Hammer produced film from 1968. It's also also known as Five Million Years to Earth, um, and it's one that uh, a Mr. Danny Perry turned me on to, um, and I have in front of me right now, uh, uh, Cult Movies Three. And I'm just going to read something real brief uh, from the top of his review, which I may do, and maybe you will too, from time to time. Um, and Mr. Perry says thus of Quatermass in the Pit from 1968. He says, America's most rabid science fiction fans recognize Five Million Years to Earth as one of the genre's most intelligent, provocative entries of the last two decades and one of the best science fiction films ever produced in England. Yet its small budget, modest special effects, lack of name stars, and complicated adult themes have prevented it from reaching sci-fi dabblers or a large movie audience. Um, that, I mean, that sums up sort of like the, um, what it is about the movie that, like he's saying, it has caused it to not connect, but it's, it's a really interesting film. Have you seen this one just out of curiosity? You know, I thought I had a long time ago cause it came up at a, um, at a trivia night. And then when I heard what it was about, it, it absolutely doesn't ring a bell having seen it and and i've seen a lot of hammers so i was surprised but i it was actually on a list i made for myself going oh yeah i gotta watch quarter mass at some point yeah it's a tricky thing i know one of the things we want to talk about with these movies is like how is it available um and this one is not as easily available uh there was an anchor bay dvd uh which has since gone out of print i i have in my possession uh um region b blu-ray uh, I wasn't able to revisit the movie because my Region B player went out on me, but um, so you can get it on Blu-ray. I don't think it's streaming anywhere right now, but maybe it's on YouTube. I haven't checked that. But basically, the gist of the story is that uh, in Hobbs End in London, um, there is a construction crew digging, I think, for like a subway tunnel, and they come across this um, some older skeletons. They they kind of look like. Um, you know, uh, Neanderthal man kind of skeletons. And then they find what turns out to be like a giant missile or something, a ship and it's buried under the ground. And it, it doesn't make really a whole lot of sense because if it crashed, it's totally intact and there's no way that it could have 
um, been in the ground for five million years. So um, I don't want to give away too much of the the mystery, but basically they 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 are able to find these like weird insect skeletons inside the ship, and then there's some talk of Martians and. Um, it's like I said, it's a very heady and very British movie, but it's one of my favorites of this kind. It, there's, it, it becomes complicated as far as, um, what the film is saying about human evolution and the potential, um, interference or, you know, guidance of aliens. Um, but it's a fascinating watch. And if you're into hammer films at all, and I, to be honest, I'm not the biggest Hammer fan in the world. I've seen my fair share of them, and um, I think they're good. I think the big draw for a lot of them, probably at the time and maybe a little bit now, is that they're a bit more uh, gory than, say, you know, the universal their universal counterparts from years earlier. Um, but this one, to me, just has a lot of um, implications as far as. Um, humanity and evolution like i said i don't know it's just one that that every time i watch it it kind of just make kind of makes me ponder a bit afterwards um i'm excited to see it i I might have to borrow your copy because yeah uh it's it's now would you say it's pure science fiction or does it stray into horror i think it's it definitely strays into horror that's the other thing um again i don't want to i don't want to give away too much but uh there's there's this whole angle of like every time that the drilling or this particular area has been disturbed, there seems to be um, strange stuff that starts happening. And I I won't go too much further than that, but but there's definitely a a good uh, horror horror element that comes in 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 the third act um, that I think would be something that, you know, horror fans would, if they can wade through the very talky, um, and I don't mean to make it sound boring, it's, it's, it's good, um, but there's definitely a, 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 a much more harder genre element towards the back. So okay, cool. No, I'm I'm definitely curious to see it now. Uh, well, cool. So th- I think this is going to be kind of a fairly regular feature on our show. This idea of us talking about something new and then pairing it with something older that we bring back into the spotlight. And I'm and I'm with you about uh, you know whether it's Danny Perry or uh, Psychotronic Video Guide or any any. I think every episode bringing in just a couple. You know, sound bites. I've got I've got one for a couple of mine coming up uh, from reviewers because it's always really interesting to see what the context at the time of uh, reception was compared to what how we're viewing it now. A lot of these films through nostalgia or uh, you know through the lens of how we saw it uh, are you know are incredible movies and we love them. But at the time, sometimes they're greeted with uh, pitchforks. So, yeah, that <laughs> especially happens. these genres. Oh yeah, and that happens a lot, a whole lot, and that's part of the reason cult movies happen is because you know it it doesn't connect with the critics or a, a more general audience but it really connects with a select few and those select few tell other people and it connects with those people and it spreads from there yeah and if you don't know either but i mean if you're kind of a new listener uh and you in terms of listening to us as hosts of other things and don't know our work very well i'd say the one thing where we really have a big connection is that idea of what is a, you know, a cult movie, you know, uh, and it, not just horror or sci-fi, but just what it means for a film to find its audience. They tend to be my favorite movies. They almost across the board. If I look at the movies, I, I truly love in my heart. It tends to be things uh, that fall into that category. So I think that will be a big part of what we end up talking about in general. Absolutely. Um, 
so we were gonna this is uh saying we wanted to get across uh we're gonna be most of our episodes will contain uh most of them not all of them uh will contain something we're gonna call five films because ah uh, yes rather than a top five uh because <laughs> we I think it'd be very boring to do a top five every week. It's also very hard on people who love as many movies as we do, but it, it's very limiting. If I was to do this uh, this week as a top five, it would be Alien, Aliens, Predator, exactly. you know, and I'd, and I'd be done with five blockbusters. That isn't going to open up the conversation of movies and, and kind of t- talk about things that are really just interesting or mean something else to us. So we're going to call it five because, and it's up to us to tell you the because um, and what we why we think it's worth mentioning that film uh and so this week we are looking at five because uh five first contact or alien movies uh which i think is a really fun first kind of episode to jump into with a five yeah i agree um you want to lead off or should i lead off uh what do you want to do your call i'll go um my number five and again this is since we're not really doing a conventional top five the numbers are sort of arbitrary although i find when i do these lists um, I still kind of tend to put the stuff that is my favorite stuff towards the top of the list. But that's not to say that, oh, don't bother with the number fives. That can't be the interesting stuff. Because I've, I put these on a list for a reason. I think they're all interesting. It's yeah, if we're talking about five films out of, I mean, with the genre, I could have done 20 and felt pretty pretty excited about 20 films. Pretty oh, yeah. Easy. And some genres will be 100. I mean, you know, the kind of... so. Uh, I, I'm with you. These are, these aren't to me in, in really in order, but there's you know we can always delineate if one pops out. Um, yeah, this is this was this was a tough list. I'll say that I have at least one, two, three, four, five, five or six um, that almost made it. Um, stuff like Liquid Sky and Communion um, that are very close. Uh, Strange Invaders. But my number five is a movie that I only saw for the first time last year, and it's called The Earth Dies Screaming. And I oh, saw. Oh, cool! I've, I've never seen that one, but I I know the Tom Waits song well, and so I've always wanted to track down the movie. He's got a great track called The Earth Dies Screaming. Oh wow! I did not even know that. I love Tom oh, yeah. Waits. Yeah. Oh, that's song. cool. Um, it's it's fascinating. Um, it's a movie that uh, Kino Lorber Studio Classics put out on Blu-ray last year um it has a commentary track it's a nice disc um but the gist of it is that it's british again um so it's set in the uk but it's like these alien robots come down to earth and they look um i don't know they look a little funky they they look kind of like old school uh astronauts um combined with robbie the robot from forbidden planet sort of um but it's immediately clear that they, like the Mars Attacks aliens, are not nice. Um, and they just start, you know, killing people. And they have this ability to reanimate dead bodies in a really creepy way where the oh. eye, the eyes come in. So there's another genre angle. So um, you have, like, a small group of survivors that uh, are trying to hide out from the robots uh, once they see them. But... Uh, you know, stuff happens and some of them die and get reanimated and things get complicated. Um, but I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, and I do recommend that you check it out, uh, via that Blu-ray if you can. Um, I think it's also on Amazon video if you wanted to rent it that way. 
Oh yeah, yeah. See, I, I watch a lot on Amazon actually. Yeah, I do I too. It's, it's great quality, uh, and I and I love this because uh, now we can you can listen to the song and I can watch that film. Yeah, exactly. And this is from 1964, by the way. I also I also kind of like to always tell people the year of a movie just to kind of give a little context. Yeah, I do as, as much as possible too. Um, okay, cool. Well, I can't say much about it except <laughs> except for the, the the song track. That's about it. Um, so yeah, so I've got I've got one that uh, anyone who knows me, uh, this could not be left off this list. Otherwise, I would literally not be able to return home, <laughs> wherever home is, wherever you are, an alien. This is this is our movie. I think that this is one of the most entertaining movies ever made. But I'm also probably biased, and that is Peter Jackson's Bad Taste from oh, 1987. Yeah. Uh, look, the movie took him five years to make on weekends on his own. And I'll tell you, I had a really interesting reaction to this movie. Uh, I was probably about uh, 12 or so, or or maybe 11. Uh, got it on VHS. Uh, don't know if it did much theatrical. And I thought it was embarrassing. I felt <laughs> I felt actually embarrassed for whoever made it in the moment. And the re- and I realize why it is now is I'd never heard uh, we call New Zealanders Kiwis. I'd never heard a Kiwi voice in a genre film so i'd grown up watching american horror films and evil dead and all these films i'd never once heard new zealand voices in a film like that i'd heard in serious dramas and stuff and so it just seemed like a bad joke to me watching this the genre i'd grown up loving suddenly with these voices that you know were like wow my god he's because he, you know I, i'm from the exact town he's he's from in wellington and and then a couple of years later, I rewatched it again and thought it was, you know, an absolutely inspiring masterpiece of independent filmmaking, you know. And, and I realized, oh, my God, it's just Evil Dead, but with New Zealand voices. Get out of there fast, Derek. I can't do that. I'm a Derek. Derek, don't run. Uh, one of the things I really loved about the film is how the aliens go from, like, these really ch- schlocky, cheap. They're even worse than the uh, terrible zombie uh, uh, Nazi zombies in Shockwaves because they're just wearing like blue shirts and like with a little bit of face powder in that film. And this, it's just without the face powder, just blue shirts. That's it. That's all it took to <laughs> to create an alien uh, in this film. But uh, there's there's tons of tons of in jokes. Uh, for instance, the town it's shot in is called Kaihoro Bay, and uh, loosely, and it's very loosely in Maori, which is the New Zealand language, that that basically translates to fast food. <laughs> uh, which is kind of great when the whole storyline is about intergalactic uh, a fast food chain that has come to use uh, humans as as meat uh, and the, and it just has lines in it that are, I mean you know if you haven't seen this film it might be a bit of a shock to the system <laughs> I think it's the kind of movie that if you've seen it you want to see it again and laugh and enjoy it if you've never seen it I have no idea how this plays to an American on a first viewing I really don't but I am so utterly proud to come from a country that made that movie and and there's no uh, you know other voice I, I miss more than Peter Jackson's humorous voice which is totally gone yeah the early you know bad taste meet the feebles uh, dead alive Peter Jackson I mean, yeah, and yeah, even yeah, uh, I gonna even into uh, what's the film with Michael J. Fox and um, oh, Frighteners. Even into Frighteners, it's still yeah. great, you know. And yeah. even parts of Lord of the Rings, the very first film, the first one, yeah, still had this humor. By the time you get to the end of that cycle and and Hobbit, it's all he is doing is you know epic filmmaking, and and it's a it's a real shame. But uh, 
you know, there's uh, the, the boys are classic characters. Great song in this film. But I also just love the way when they do turn into because, you know, a big part of talking about alien films is what do the aliens look like, you know, and what is the design? Because I think that's one of the big draws because we're talking about an unknown or unknowable thing uh, for humans at this stage. Almost like talking about what does God look like is what do aliens look like? And I think when he when he takes ha- through the halfway point, when you finally start seeing these creatures, they are so absurd and big and like the faces are ridiculous they look just like i think like giant butts <laughs> you know it's 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 so funny it kind of reminds me a little bit of society the humor in society uh, which is a movie I, I also really love but uh it has you know i think one of the greatest lines in all of movies is uh you know peter jackson's other character in it Derek and where he just says you know you got to get out of there Derek and he's like I'm a Derek Derek's don't run and it's just <laughs> the idea that and, and I ended up doing that as I, I'll post a photo for those who were, never saw it but I did play this character uh two Halloweens ago I went as Derek from Bad nice. Taste and it's probably my best costume halfway through the night <laughs> I'd have bits of brain fall on the ground and then I'd fall down and get back up and shove it and put a I put a um <laughs> a belt around my head and it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, really love this movie. Talk about a movie that needs, and I, I could be wrong, but I don't think it's on Blu-ray right now. Nope, no Blu-ray. Oh, that kills me. It's still a out-of-print image entertainment uh, DVD. You can find, you know, you can still find it online, but it's that, that good version is out-of-print. That's the Anchor Bay special, right? Yeah, because it had a, the reason it's so worthwhile is it has one of the absolute best making-ofs ever because you just see how Peter Jackson put that movie together and he had so much, you know, uh, outtakes and so much little diary uh, of what he was doing while he was making it. Uh, and it's hilarious. And it's just like, you're like, holy shit. Like when he's shooting a gun, he's like, you know, painting every frame, the guns, you can't get guns in New Zealand. So he had to like take metal things and then bake them, bake them in his oven. And that's what looks like guns. I mean, wow. it's just crazy, you know, just some crazy stuff like that. Um, I mean, you can't get guns, hunting guns, but not the kind of things he wanted. Um, anyway, so, you know, Bad Taste, it's, it's super fun. Uh, and it really is a, it really is a big kind of, for a movie that is uh, super silly, uh, it really kind of goes big. And there's even like a launch and you're even in space at one point. I mean, it's pretty, pretty nutty for a $30,000 uh, movie. Yeah, I mean, he, he accomplishes so much. And I would put it in a category with um, like Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, as far as you know the the energy and the style and the scrappiness that of of the filmmaking um and it's one of the few films i think i've ever seen where doesn't he have a scene where he basically has a fight with himself oh yeah 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 that's he, amazing he, he plays both the uh, peter jackson plays both derek uh the nerdy uh scientist and the uh, one of the aliens and he's the big brute and and i had no idea it was him growing up because in one he's got a big beard and he looks really big and as derek he looks really small and he's clean shaven and you're like how the fuck did he film that yeah over time like just you know shot reverse shot uh but man, is it! Uh, it's just a really fun film, and I got had the glory of getting to see it at a uh, all nighter two years ago. Uh, Phil Blankenship did at Cine Family, and he was like, "This next one is kind of for you." Oh, that's <laughs> and awesome! It, that was a great screening. Yeah, everybody uh, so needs to see that movie, movie, and we need to get it on Blu-ray. It needs to happen. Agreed. Um. All right. So moving on to my number four, a uh, little bit more of the classic science fiction. Um, this is uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. From mm-hmm. 1956, um, the big draw on this one probably is going to be the Ray Harryhausen special effects. Um, 
he that's did, all I can remember. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's I've, there's a little more to it. Um, there's a couple actors you'll recognize in it if you've seen some of this older stuff. But um, the flying saucers are pretty fun. Uh, the aliens are pretty fun. Um, and it's it connects to Mars Attacks in that, you know, there there's that great joke in Mars Attacks that's Tim Burton literally playing off this movie where I think two flying saucers try to knock over the Washington Monument uh-huh. and then some people are trying to run away and they like move it so that it's going to try and fall <laughs> on the people and, and it's it's clearly <laughs> that's right it's so good that's oh, so funny um but that's sort of taking some, a page from this where you know the flying saucers um devastate Washington DC they crash into the Lincoln Memorial and some other stuff um but it's it's a cool movie and it it also has to do with it it sort of ties into arrival in that it has to do with communication and time in that the aliens in this movie um they they have a translator um and they try to send a message of peace to um the earthlings but their their sense of time is so skewed that it just comes out as garbled gibberish and mm. it's not until later in the movie that they figure out that when they run the tape really slow they can actually hear the message that was saying hey we just want to meet you at this place and of course when they show up they get attacked and then it becomes this whole thing um but as classic i watched this with my daughter um a, a weekend or two ago rewatched and um it still plays pretty fun you know uh, i think if you're into this era the sort of day of the earth stood still black and white sci-fi era um this one i feel like doesn't get talked about as much as it used to um and it's it's a fun it's a fun time um and and ray harryhausen fans uh should definitely check it out and if you're not a ray harryhausen fan you should become one because he's amazing oh yeah i mean it's unbelievable uh yeah i remember seeing that one as part of like i think it was part of like an all-nighter uh where you didn't know what the titles were going to be and that was in the middle of night but i remember it, it really actually did keep everyone's interest because it, it looked so amazing to actually watch those kind of effects. Uh, the way he shoots, you know, is, is always very exciting. Yeah, he really, I don't know. I, I just, maybe some people would find it cheesy, but I've found that um, my daughter isn't usually taken out by the stop motion stuff. So I'm hoping that it can still play um, pretty well to a modern audience. Um, this one is available on Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray has a black and white version as well as a colorized version, and that is also available on Vudu in black and white and color, and I think Amazon Video has the same setup. Cool. Um, yeah, the, the next one on my list, you know, one thing you'll, uh, if you listen to start listening to the show, you'll find about me pretty quickly is uh, one of my top five filmmakers of all time is Nick Rogue. Uh, and ah. This is one of his films that it's still in his. Uh, he has a, a streak of about six or seven films, where which are all incredible, uh, all challenging, but all really incredible. And then after that, he really doesn't. You know, he has a long period of a career where th- the, a lot of the ideas stop connecting. Uh, this this film, to me, is one of the ones I watch rewatch the least, and I I think it's an amazing movie, but it's a little dense with ideas. It's like really packed to the gills, I think, with ideas, which makes it fascinating, but also uh, kind of inaccessible at times. Uh, and that's The Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, starring David Bowie. Yeah. Um, and it's it's definitely one of the best portraits of an extraterrestrial. And pro- I mean, I might go so far as to say it is the best in, in your vein of Starman type movies. But what's really interesting about it is it's it feels at a certain point that it's a movie about David Bowie as an alien. Not a movie where David Bowie's playing an alien, but it almost feels like Nick Rogue was making it about how a very androgynous, famous uh, 
uh, rich singer literally can be an alien to the rest of the world and detached and uh, somebody who can't un- almost understand himself. And so I think he uses that character and, and on, on all the reports on set where that Bowie just got so lost in the role that you're not really watching a performance. Uh, he was also doing a lot of drugs, I think in his own words, he said, uh, it's a good exhibition of somebody literally falling apart in front of you. I was totally insecure with about 10 grams of cocaine a day in me. I was stoned out of my mind from beginning to end. And, uh, wow. He, but he was also a professional. So anyone who's talked about they, a lot of people on set didn't know he was on drugs because he never, he never disappeared in anything like that. But the performance is such a frail, vulnerable character. Um, it's about it basically for those who don't know, it's about an extraterrestrial who crash lands, uh, on earth. His name's Thomas Jerome Newton. And he's come here to try to find water for his planet. And they're having this severe drought and his wife and uh, child are basically going to die if he can't get it. And what it's actually about though is a guy, uh, this alien comes here for water, you know, has all these uh, technology that's advanced, including Polaroid, which is funny because he becomes the king of Polaroid, you know, before it was invented here. Uh, And he makes all this money that he should be using to build a, uh, you know, a water shipment to take it back to his planet. But he gets sidetracked by humanity. And the further he goes into humanity, the more he gets sidetracked till the point where he's his daughter and, you know, wife aren't going to have survived. So now he's just on this planet all fucked up on alcohol and trying to, you know, trying watching TV. I mean, the, the most effective image in the film is him just sitting in a chair uh, topless and watching about, you know, 20 different televisions, all with different, you know, uh, news on it and and images and saturation and commercials and just he's just taking it all in because he is an alien i mean he doesn't know the stuff and so he's absorbing it all but you realize how easy it is to be distracted by our humanness i think and it's it's so it's utterly fascinating like it's one of those movies that just has so much going on it has this uh, beautiful performance uh by candy clark which i think like Teresa russell often get called bad actors um because they're quite big and or asked to do big things i think in these films but it's it totally feels real i mean it feels like she is this person she's this you know waitress in new mexico that he has this crazy relationship with and there's a moment where she sees his true form for the first time what he really looks like as an alien which is pretty creepy and her scream and the editing in that scene is it's an incredible moment and you know ultimately nick rogue is you know, he started as a cinematographer, so you'd think it'd be the cinematography you remember about his movies, but it's uh, it's definitely the editing. It's it's his use of match cuts, graphic matches. Uh, he he can connect ideas through, you know, uh, the shape and color of his cut, and so uh, he, he feels literally like someone who's always ten years ahead of what he's doing. And in these in the movies that work that he made, he feels like he was just always ahead of the. Uh, ideas and um, and it's an exciting movie and it's and it's absolutely fascinating and it's you know it's also really sad because if if that's a true portrait of Bowie the artist and superstar uh, it's it's as depressing as if an alien crash landed here and couldn't find their way home it, it, it there's a lot of parallels in it and also you got Rip Torn you know oh. playing a, pro- a professor uh, <laughs> who kind of sees through him he's the only one who kind of sees him for what he probably is he, he's suspicious from the get-go and uh so yeah if you haven't seen this uh i, I really can't recommend it enough if you're interested in this subgenre uh because it's it's just utterly fascinating i know it got a lot of 
kind of, you know, suddenly, unfortunately, you know, with the passing of Bowie, that was a movie that was being shared by probably a lot of people who'd never seen the movie, sharing images from it and mentioning it. It had a uh, gorgeous Blu-ray from Criterion, but that, uh, looking it up for the show, has gone out of print. And Studio Canal is set to re-release it this year with all the same extras and make a big release out of it. I don't know why uh, it won't be Criterion again, but uh, either way, that's de- you definitely want to see it at its best-looking version. Yeah, um, I was just thinking about what you said about the TVs and him basically being distracted by media and technology, and what what an updated version of that would play like and just how much more media and technology we have to distract ourselves now. Oh yeah. No, I mean totally. I think I think that's what I mean. I mean, I think he's he's often really ahead of the things that are happening. He has this biography that he wrote. I've I'd read about three or four books on him because he they, he's not a hard, easy person to find uh writing on and they're all pretty good, but then last year he wrote a book himself and I am can't quite remember the title. Um it's called Hold on. Uh <laughs> The world is ever changing, <clears throat> and if you're into interest in filmmaking, it it's not a very long book, and it cuts around just like his movies do. His movies, if you've seen Don't Look Now, the way he uses cuts to cut around and cut through time, is fascinating. And so, this book is so interesting the way he writes things about his memory and life in a kind of stream of conscious way that uh, really kind of fits his movies. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really great alien film though, you know, like, uh, cause it's not about a whole race of aliens, it's just about one trying to understand this one being, uh, which I think is really cool. Yeah. It's an amazing film and one I've honestly only ever seen one time. So, um, I, I'm, I picked up the new Blu-ray. I'm definitely excited to dig in again. Um, but it's another one that I found through Danny Perry to be completely honest. Yeah, I probably did too. I mean, to be honest, um, my next pick is definitely not a movie that I found through Danny Perry. <laughs> okay, I, I, I mean, you know, it might be in um, Guide for the Film Fanatic, maybe. Um, but I went for a couple nostalgia picks in a row here, and um, so this one's not at all obscure. But in rewatching it, I was just reminded how much I loved it as a kid, and I kind of still love it now. Uh, and that's Critters. Dad's all torn up, and Mom's got like a harpoon sting in her neck, and they're getting bigger. <laughs> critters they bite i'm so glad you put it on because i'm not kidding a couple days ago i was like you know i should put critters on my fucking list because i loved that movie when i first saw it but the only reason i didn't i'm not even kidding is because you posted an instagram picture of critters and i was like i bet that motherfucker's gonna put critters on his list yeah you know my instagram may be a clue occasionally to what i'm doing with my lists exactly. uh, i gotta be honest um but yeah it's it's one that i saw as a youngster and if you don't know the story of critters it's pretty basic uh a bunch of basically tribbles with teeth um uh that are on a prison planet or a prison station uh escape um they're they're they have voracious appetites and they eat like everything uh they escape this ship and they end up on earth and they just start eating their way through people um but what's as interesting or more interesting than them is the bounty hunters that are sent after them to retrieve them. And they're these two <laughs> two humanoid creatures that have uh, the ability to form their faces into, you know, whoever they see and choose. Um, and the movie has this great um, rock singer in it named Johnny Steele. And he's got a song called Power of the Night, 
which I cannot get out of my head since I watched that movie. <laughs> so good. Um, but he, this guy always, he's like a long haired dude that looks a little bit like Tim Curry. Um, and, uh, so he and his partner have these amazing, um, like cannons, like little, like, Oh yeah. Yeah, like great oh, when you're a kid that kind of thing is just enough to make you think the movie is the best thing in the world i uh, actually in the moment where i was uh i'm thinking the which is related to this moment the best movie in the world is where the critters talk to each other with subtitles and oh. they say and one of them says uh they have weapons the other one goes so what and then one gets blown to pieces and he goes oh shit he, <laughs> or, says, oh, he actually says fuck yeah which yeah. is great <laughs> in subtitles um uh, but yeah, it's 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 such a fun movie, and it's got um, it's got D. Wallace Stone. I don't know if she was Stone at that time, but um, from E. T. and The Howling, uh, it's got Billy Zane. Um, it, oh, that's right, he's one of the bounty hunters. No, Billy Zane is the boyfriend of oh, the yeah, daughter, and he gets chowed. Um, it's got M. Emmett Walsh as the sheriff. Uh, yeah, I love him. He's and the best. He, I think M. Emmett Walsh will be a guy that comes up a lot on this show because okay. he's one of the, one of the great character actors ever and he's in a ton of great movies a lot of which sort of fall into the cult vein um, and I think his blood simple performance oh. is, is like my top 50 performances of all time like I just love it you know I, I can't get enough of him in that and, and he is so slimy and one thing I love about that movie is at some point I read or heard that the Coens saw him in Straight Time, which is literally one of my favorite oh, yeah. movies of all time. Oh, yeah. Uli and, Grosbard yes. uh, directed that. That film is great. That's oh. like one of the best. I, I consider, you know, the book Raging Bullies Writers, they have all those movies in there. And I once created a list of all the, what I was calling second tier, but only because they were missing from that book, because there was all these other movies that I liked almost more than all the movies mentioned in that book from the exact same period that just aren't mentioned in that book, you know, and, and that's definitely one of them, you know, it's, it's high up on that list. Yeah. I mean, uh, speaking of Instagram, you posted a picture of Harry Dean Stanton, uh, uh, on yours recently this week. And, and he's got a great part in straight time, not to get too far off topic, but that's anyway, right, that's right. M. Emmett Walsh is a parole officer in straight time and he is such a sleaze and such a dick. Uh, and so passive aggressive in this absolutely perfect way um, that apparently the Coen brothers saw him and were like, yep, we want to cast him as our dickish, sleazy private eye in Blood Simple. Um, but he's he isn't given enough to do in Critters as far as I'm concerned, um, but it's still great to have him anytime. Um, but yeah, Critters, it's just so silly. As far as, you know, a movie that probably only exists because of Gremlins, um, it justifies its existence in the amount of fun that I get out of it every time I watch it. Um, even though the when critters, was the last time I haven't seen that in a decade. Easy critters. I just rewatched it. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, just, that gives me hope to rewatch then. Yeah. And sadly, another movie that I don't think is on Blu-ray. Um, but I'm hoping, uh, I mean, there's a four, there's like a four pack DVD where you can get all uh, four. I think there's only four of the films. There might be a fifth that I'm forgetting, but, um, so you can get it on DVD in that four pack, which is cheap. It's on, you know, Vudu and Amazon Video. Um, it's oh, I forgot um, other things that are cool about it. Lynn Shay is in it as cool. as the uh, I think she works at the sheriff station as the um, switchboard operator. She's great. And then the effects were done by the Kyoto Brothers uh, of uh, yeah. Killer Clowns and and other fame. Um, so it's just uh, a really great package of uh you know 80s fun that is uh, a perfect nostalgia 
you know, blanket for me whenever I watch it. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm really happy that you put that on the list. Cause, uh, you know, cause I guess we forget, you know, you meet, f- uh, film fans who are maybe 22, 23 now. Uh, and uh, these movies are just titles that they weren't walking through video stores on the shelves necessarily with these movies. And they probably have heard of them through books and cultural references, but you know, it not, might not be part of their life. They might've missed it. So it's really cool that, uh, to re-highlight something like that. Um, you know, I might, I might've given away something too here. But I'm going for something a little different, especially on a topic when we're doing a topic called aliens, where you think, oh, it's about like the crazy looking aliens and stuff. I I'm going to I'm going to be honest with you, man. Ordinary people. I fucking hate them. (laughs) See, an ordinary person spends his life avoiding tense situations. Repo man spends his life getting into tense situations. Let's go get a drink. I am I am going for the fucking Reagan teardown of the 80s that nice. is maybe one of the greatest independent or not independent film greatest films that should probably looks like an independent film but was made by a studio and how the hell you ever got this into theaters uh, miracles of cinema that is Repo Man. Oh man. Um and I and I was torn a little bit but I had the blue the Criterion uh I had bought it recently and hadn't seen the film in about you know, about eight or nine years and have always liked it. But I was like, you know what? We're doing aliens. I want to see if that could still fit. And (laughs) what I realized is, well, for one, any movie where LA Los Angeles plays itself. uh, And I mean, really plays itself. It's not a backdrop for just, you know, it's a background because we were shooting on LA because it's LA when it's about LA, when it gets under the skin of Los Angeles. And I'm sure we'll do a, you know, do this as a, as a top five or a countdown some point. I love those movies. And I mean, I love it more than New York. I love it more than anywhere else. Uh, there's something about LA that is so unspecific. It is, it's so varied. It's like each little part of LA feels like a different country. So uh, in this, I feel like this is going to sound, it might sound bullshit, but I felt like in this LA is the alien. And I feel like the film is shot from the viewpoint of an outsider alien too, like in the sense of Alex Cox, the director, he's a 29-year-old English person. who He did study here a little bit, but I feel like it took this like alien perspective on L.A. to see it for what it is, which is you know, a city of uh, people from all over the fucking place. I mean, almost no one's from L.A., you know? And so we're all aliens, and we create this weird subculture. I mean... I'm not grasping at straws because the movie's literally about, you know, back of a, a white sh- uh, Chevy Malibu with alien corpses in the back of it. <laughs> you never get to see them, but they produce a blinding white light that turns you to bones. So, you know, it's still an alien <laughs> film and the car is an alien car. So I don't think it's that far off point. But um, there's something about this movie. The casting of it is just perfect. Harry Dean Stanton, who I, you know, we'll probably do a Harry Dean Stanton list one day because we both probably love him so much. But, oh, yeah this is one of those roles where at that point in his career, it, it, you just couldn't have lined up something more perfect for a guy who <laughs> Alex Cox cast him because they described him as somebody who looked like a, a corpse from the old West. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like perfect, you know? Oh man. It is one of the quintessential Harry Dean roles. And he, I mean, there's so much amazing stuff about that movie that I absolutely adore. Uh, the soundtrack, Emilio Estevez's, weird um almost robotic at points performance uh is oh man uh, but what that idea that punks 
like because I you know I, I really liked punk and and then the circle jerks are in it and everything but the idea that punks in that period are also just one step away from being like Reagan yuppies you know like <laughs> it, they, could, they could just so easily be corrupted by you know uh, money it's, it's only one step away but there's so much going on in this thing uh, and you know the alien side of it is more like a weird through line to keep the the story kind of flowing to give it a goal it's it's ultimately the MacGuffin and and something that I was thinking about after watching this viewing that's fun for, you know, uh, film nerds is the kind of influence. Like you can see uh, Kiss Me Deadly, which is a, a great L.A. film. You know, it's all shot and set in Los Angeles, which has this, you know, box that she opens and it's an atomic meltdown, which is which you can see that being borrowed in this film. And then from with the trunk and then from this film, you go to uh, Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, which seems to borrow from both of them for the uh, the briefcase that has a glow, which we never get to find out, you know, exactly what it is. And that's all, you know, so these three great LA films, it's really fun to see this, like, uh, this kind of strange MacGuffin through line, uh, which, you know, they, Tarantino explains the least. I've heard all sorts of crazy theories about that, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it was really, it was a kind of a joy to rewatch. And, uh, you were talking about the soundtrack and this is something, uh, uh, reading the liner notes of this, uh, criterion that I didn't know is basically, Somehow Alex Cox convinced a major studio to make this movie, which is just insane because this is the kind of movie where you're like, no, you know, I don't know how you'd pitch this thing. Um, but uh, they put it in theaters for one week and pulled it because, you know, they didn't know what the fuck they had. And uh, it didn't do, you know, it didn't do well in that week. And then two or three weeks later, the soundtrack was selling like hotcakes and the soundtrack was just like, I don't know if it was number one, uh, but it was in that realm. And they were suddenly like, oh, OK. Uh, and because of the popularity of the soundtrack, it went back to theaters and became an actual success, both critically and financially. So that's it's so cool. I mean, that's uh, you don't get much more punk than that. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was actually the music itself that saved this movie's ass because of some of the people who were in that, including the Iggy Pop uh, key theme so if you haven't seen this film we're talking about of course like you like you're as familiar as we are but you know it's it's basically about uh you know a, a punk guy kind of teaming up with um some re uh, repo man who kind of tricks him into stealing a car from him and you kind of see the real world of what repo men do which is apparently pretty realistic because it was alex cox spent a lot of time with real repo men uh and then uh you know that we find out that there's this car out there with uh, three actual uh, aliens from Roswell uh, bodies in it, and there's a twenty thousand dollar reward. So all the Repo Men are after it, competing, and it's goes it goes from you know slapstick mad dash to also kind of really insightful, you know philosophical uh, and punk kind of madness. So it's it really has it all. Yeah, it's it is one of those like prototypical cult movies that was in every cult movie section I ever saw at any video store worth a damn and um it's quirky and strange and funny as hell and yeah like you said insightful in parts it's so unique that you really can't go yeah you know that that other movie like repo man because there really aren't <laughs> any other movies like repo man no definitely not repo man <laughs> you know <laughs> i yeah. remember the repo mints that movie uh, from a couple years ago yeah, yeah definitely not that oh boy i'll tell you one thing brian the life of a podcaster is always intense. <laughs> podcaster spends his time getting into intense situations. That's what we do. Um, uh, so anyway, I, I was, I wasn't. I know you would appreciate that one, even if oh you yeah. hadn't picked it. 
Yeah, no, that's great. I can't remember if I was trying to figure out a way to, to shoehorn that in. I'd forgotten about the Roswell alien angle. So I'm glad you uh, did the research and, and, and put it on the list because it's amazing. Um, my next pick is another nostalgia pick for me. Um, it's a Disney movie from 1986 called Flight of the Navigator. Um, Loved that film when I was a kid. Yeah, it's it's um it's definitely one that was a big deal to me at the time. Um, I think because well for a lot of reasons. One, I I want to say I was around the age of the main kid. Um, I, first off, just to give an idea of what the movie's about, it's it's initially set in um the late seventies, and this twelve year old kid. Uh, is like running through the woods with his brother and um, he like f- gets knocked unconscious and when he wakes up it's eight years later and he shows up at his house in 1986 and his younger brother is now his older brother and everybody's like trying to figure out what happened and what they are able to determine is that he was basically abducted and there's an alien ship being held by NASA that um, only he can access. Um, and so, you know, through weird happenstance, he ends up at NASA with the ship and ends up taking the ship on a little, uh, joy ride. Um, and the thing, one of the things that got me about it was that, um, the voice of the alien, uh, ends up being Paul Rubens, who's very much in peewee oh. mode. Wow. I, I always thought it was somebody imitating Paul Rubens. Hmm. Um, but, um, it's, I think it's actually him doing the voice. Um, and and I was a big, big, and always have been uh, Pee Wee fan. And uh, I can't remember if I was watching Pee Wee's Playhouse at that time already or what. But um, So that was a big deal to me and very comforting to hear his voice as the voice of the ship, basically. Um, but the ship is really cool. It's like this big um, kind of a rounded... Uh, I can't even describe it. Actually, it's it's just a very strange looking space age design, and it can fly through space very quickly. And um, so it's kind of this kid figuring out, talking to the alien creature that that runs the ship, and um, the the alien learning from him, and and trying to figure out what what exactly happened, uh, and why he was chosen, and all this stuff. But it's it's just a it's got a sort of a heartfelt thing to it. Um, but it's also got, I don't know, it's, it's just a great fantasy film for young people. And it's one that I don't think I've shown my daughter yet, actually, which is this, this episode has got me compiling a list in my head of, uh, what we're going to be doing the rest of this weekend, basically, um, with Mars attacks and, um, a couple others. Uh, I feel like those movies, uh, and, and the reason why we respond so well as kids to these, I think they're really empowering to that age you know like i think they really made you feel important i remember things like cloak and dagger oh yeah this movie i mean so many goonies i mean so many of these movies but especially like the idea that you could be you know uh, a 10 year old and running a ship you know and 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 it made me i mean that was a movie i haven't seen again in a long time but it made me feel so good watching it yeah uh, when i was young even you talking about it it all, all kind of comes back yeah you're totally right about the empowerment thing a friend of mine came up with the term and this movie doesn't quite fit into it although it does a little bit he came up with the term whiz kid movies which mm-hmm. is something that happened in the 80s and, and that you had s- sort of semi-precocious younger kids who were um put in a position to be really empowered it's things like 
uh, Cloak and Dagger and the Manhattan Project and um, oh man, there was a couple more. Revenge of the Ner- Nerds to a degree. But what's the one with uh, Matthew Broderick? Oh, War, War Games for games. sure. War yeah, for absolutely. Sure. These are yeah. all whiz kid movies under his. Definition. And it's because we were the ones going paying for the movie tickets. You know, we were the target audience. And now I feel like the movies they make for that age group are are the superhero movies. So they're making yeah. Iron Man. That's what they're giving them. Well, those aren't empowering of young people. Those are you know cultural myths. They're like seeing you know grand icons flying through the sky. So it's interesting. It's it's definitely a shift. I think the last time I saw a movie that maybe tried it, it was an indie. Uh, Relativity Media put it out. Uh, what was that one called? With it was like an alien trying to do kind of an ET, but they didn't. Um, oh, it'll come back to me. It, it was pretty cheap the way it was done and didn't have the same quite the same heart to it. Uh, Earth to Echo was the one. Oh yeah, exactly. And no, it, that... it tried. It tried at least, and I appreciated that. And I think Stranger Things obviously delivered it. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, some people don't like the they call it nostalgic porn, but I'm like, you know what? I'll take the nostalgia porn any day of the week uh, myself over over cynical crap that yeah. gets sometimes. So no, I'm with you. Those two things definitely tried to pull out that sort of kid empowerment and people, you know, couch it in Spielberg and Amblin, but it was, it was bigger than that. I think it was, it was a bigger cultural movement that was happening in movies of the eighties. And I, I love to see it when people try and do it nowadays. Um, but just briefly, I, I want to run through this cast before I finish this one. Um, Paul Rubens, as I mentioned, but then like Cliff DeYoung, who is a great, a great actor that if you watch enough 80s movies, you'll be like, oh, that guy. And uh, Veronica Cartwright, speaking of Alien, uh-huh. uh, is the, the Clifton Young and Veronica Cartwright play the kid's parents. Sarah Jessica Parker has a small part. Howard Hessman plays a doctor, uh, scientist guy. Um, so it's got like a lot of little um, great character actor touches to it that I've come to appreciate more in my old age. But it's a really great family movie. Uh, highly recommended. Um, it is available... On Amazon, Vudu, probably iTunes. I have a region-free import Blu-ray that I recommend people pick up if you're interested and um, a big fan like I am. Um, but yeah, it's that's funny. it. The, the movie that I almost would have put on my list from that, in that same kind of vein, but I didn't want to do it because I hadn't seen it in so long, and I'm going to re-watch it. Anyway, just because I'm curious, was Last Starfighter? Oh yeah, you know, that was one. I just I just didn't have the confidence to be like, oh, I really want to talk about it right now without having the time to rewatch it. But I have a very similar memories of really liking that. I watched the trailer again while I was thinking about it. It's like, whoa, that looked wacky. The mods, the aliens looked crazy, like a giant, yeah. like Star Wars kind of thing. Yeah, um, I love I love that movie, and it definitely falls under the Wiz Kid E category. Um, yeah, he's a little well. older. He's more like an 18, 17 year old or whatever. But still, yeah. But just the idea that you've got a kid who is just really good at a specific video game and that's why he's pulled into this alien war is <laughs> very yeah, yeah. 80s oh yeah it's kid. great um the next one i'm going to start with what Ebra said about it because uh what better person than uh smart uh film critic roger ebert because he always gets to the truth of things so let's see what he thinks about this movie first <laughs> most exploitation movies are bad but not necessarily painful to watch they may be incompetent they may be predictable they may be badly acted or awkwardly directed but at some level the filmmakers are enjoying themselves and at least trying to entertain an audience Extra is an exception. A completely <laughs> depressing, nihilistic film, an exercise on sadness. It's movies like this that give movies a bad name. Wow. Uh, also, all movie called the movie Pure Trash, but I called Pure Cinema. Oh, man. that The birthing scene alone is, how could you not call that Pure Cinema? 
he, here's the thing. I'm gonna tell. I've been doing um, podcasts now for. Uh, I guess we've done Shockwave's Killer POV for about three or so years, and before that, I did kind of video shows. But uh, the best thing about doing podcasts, uh, on one hand, I am giving out hundreds and hundreds of recommendations of movies for other people to watch. Every once in a while, every maybe three times a year, somebody will recommend something back to me that I haven't seen that will blow my fucking mind. And Dennis Atherton, who has been a very loyal you know, listener of our show, is the one who sent this film title my way. Because I, I had heard of it as in terms of maybe the video nasty list or something like that, uh, but I had never seen the film. And he kept talking about it being his favorite movie of all time. And when somebody does that, like I've always kind of beat the drum for possession, I listen. Uh, and man, I wasn't let down. This movie had it all. It's like... You know, it's a, it, it basically uh, it's a British science fiction film uh, directed by Harry Bromley Davenport. Uh, the cool part is it's New Line, so it's produced by Bob Shea in that golden period. Uh, and it's about a dad who's abducted in one of the early scenes. So he's playing, he's with his son. He's abducted by aliens, uh, and then he comes back three years later, and he's been changed. Uh, he's he, he's basically a creature uh, kind of morphed with an alien. You never really get <laughs> much clarity uh, to what's actually going on in this movie, but there are a few moments. Uh, within this movie well a the effects are great so any any practical effect monster slash alien movie it, from the that period is worth watching you know they they never let you down on that level uh but this one has some moments and the, you know the moment you're addressing is you know a woman literally gets touched uh, get you know uh walks across a, a room in a one singular take and when she starts walking she's not pregnant and by the end of the walk she has given birth to a full formed man <laughs> i mean you're like holy fucking shit like i mean literally and which is another category i want to do one day is holy fucking shit movies this one is definitely <laughs> definitely will qualify at all times uh actually but- I, I was gonna say real quick i don't do a lot of letterboxed reviews but one of the few that I have done is very short, and it's about Extro, and it says, this film really earns the holy fucking shit moniker, <laughs> nice. which I do believe. You, you nailed it. Um, you know what? One of the – there's just two fun little things. One is uh, I haven't watched it again like recently, but I watched the uh, HD trailer because uh, there's going to be a really a huge, huge five-disc 35th anniversary Blu-ray from being made in Germany that will have like you know English – uh, English language version on it and stuff, and it's probably cost a, a fortune. I don't know. Uh, there, otherwise, there's no. Uh, it's out of print uh, in the Image Entertainment one. Um, but uh, the one thing watching the trailer again that I I think this might really nail the movie and why it's so good and why maybe once you see it you get infected is I'm gonna call it the phantasm of sci-fi because it feels like it does a lot of the same things that phantasm does and that kind of handmade personal vision feels very personal uh it, you know phantasm obviously uh, holds it together more as a narrative than say extra does but i think there's a lot in common with it and so when i was watching the trailer i was like oh this has a phantasm vibe but in a big science fiction way but i do have to share one story from this movie because uh the sequels are terrible by the way so anyone who gets really excited once they see this and rushes to get two or three they're on the same disc you can see them uh neither are worth watching i I hate saying that but one has jan michael vincent who's really broken down uh by you know alcoholism by then uh they're just not good movies they try to be big science fiction like more like aliens uh and it just isn't what they should be aiming for but there is a story there is an extra of the director talking about the making of this movie that, and it's just a great like interview because he doesn't know what the hell he you know did he was like i don't know what the hell this is but uh <laughs> in, in this movie there's a 
great surreal like there's a couple of moments outside the alien storyline where uh you know it's just surrealist imagery like there's a crazy clown that's really scary you're like what has that got to do with this movie but the weirdest part there's an a full black panther like literally straight out of uh the you know uh val luden's cat people this beautiful black panther that starts walking towards the camera and it's like really scary and it kind of jumps up at at the camera and stuff you're like that has nothing to do with the narrative and the director tells the story that like at two in the morning and he's in england so it's like two in the morning during production uh he gets a phone call and it's bob shea on the phone and bob shea's like i I just had a dream that you need to put a black panther in this movie and he's like what are you talking about like we can't put a black panther there's no room for black and he's like it doesn't matter what it costs it has to you have to put the black panther in the film and that was it. Wow. <laughs> and so now so there's no reason for this moment to be in this movie. And yet, you know, kind of, I think I'm on, I'm, I'm on team Shay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with the producer who forced, uh, forced the Black Panther. So uh, this is really a bonkers movie. Um, but I, I, I would be absolutely shocked if anyone complained uh, if they follow this recommendation. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't squawk. It's amazing. Um, on to my number one. Um, this is another guy that will probably come up, um, more than once on this show, and that's John Sayles. Um, this is, uh, his movie Brother from Another Planet. Man is a fugitive from a chain gang. He's got radar for a mind, removable eyes, and a lovable smile. Give me five, brother. Yeah, I really, really love this one, and I, um... Rewatched it again. Uh, this sadly, this one's not on Blu-ray either, uh, as are a lot of Sales's movies not on Blu-ray, um, which is sad. Um, but it's on Amazon Video. You can rent it that way. It's on DVD. Uh, but basically, it's got Joe Morton, who uh, people will know if from nothing else, Terminator Two, where he plays Miles Bennett Dyson, who is the guy in charge of Skynet, or at least. Um, one of the um, research wings of Skynet that's developing stuff uh, based on the... Okay, I don't want to give away too much from the Terminator mythology, just in case maybe there's somebody out there who hasn't seen those movies. But regardless, he has a big role in T2. Um, this came, I can't believe anyone's found our show who hasn't seen those two movies. I agree, I agree. <laughs> but but like I respect you, say, you for doing that. I agree, but just like you said, maybe there's some young people out there that will listen to this yeah. and not haven't seen them. Um, but anyway, Joe Morton's a great actor, m- more in the character vein... Um, but definitely a guy that's underrated and underused. Um, but so he plays an extraterrestrial, and this movie has a really, really neat, uh, very economical opening where his spaceship crashes, and it's done in this some might say cheesy, but I think you know, um, resourceful way. Uh, and he, so it's just he's he it's he's basically like a silent film character. He doesn't speak. And he sort of finds his way into New York City uh, from, interestingly enough, and not accidentally, Staten Island. Um, so he's an immigrant in, you know, <laughs> more ways than one. And so it's just sort of viewing the city and the people uh, of the city, mostly in Harlem, uh, through his eyes. And seeing how people play off of him, how they project onto him, um, 
and he has some interesting abilities. He can manipulate machines. He can feel and hear um, past experiences. Like he has a moment in a train station, I think it's Grand Central, I can't remember, where he just is overwhelmed with the cacophony of voices that have gone through that building. Um, so he has sort of these special powers, but it's a very low-budget movie. I think sales made it for like two hundred grand or something. And it's was that right? I can't remember because I, I kind of went through all his filmography when a, a long time ago. But is that right after? Is that like his second or th- movie right after Secaucus Seven? Um, I think he it did. Must be somewhere in there. I think it was like his third. Um, okay. Yeah, it's early. Definitely. It was like Secaucus, then Liana, if I remember, and then I think um, Brother. I think You're probably that's. Right. I, I'd have to look it up, but um. But they're all great, actually. If you want to check out Sales' stuff, it's it's really great and very character-based and all about characters talking to each other. Um, but it's got a lot of great character actors in it, um, a lot of great black character actors that you'll recognize right away when you see them, including um, Steve James, who <laughs> plays a bartender in the movie, and he's somebody you'll recognize from a lot of... Uh, like the American Ninja movies and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's just, it's a really neat performance from Joe Morton. And it's, it's a very, um, another movie with a lot of heart um, that I, I just adore. Um, and John Sales himself and David Strait Theron, who's a sort of a sales regular, play like, again, sort of bounty hunters that are out after um, Joe Morton trying to pick him up. And uh, so, Strait Theron and Madawan is like. Oh. Whoa. We got to great roles. Yeah, we got to talk about Madawan at some point. That's that movie is that's uh we're, you know underrated eighty seven is coming up on my blog and uh, oh, cool. spoiler spoiler alert that movie will definitely be on my list. Um, but yeah, so this is one of my favorite John Sales movies, and it's just there's not a lot of sci fi to it really. There's moments where the the alien does like you know some little things. Most of the effects are accomplished by uh like a flashlight or a light bulb that he's holding in his hand that you know he waves over something um but it it never takes you out but it really is just about people you know and uh sort of being being like again being uh an immigrant being somebody a foreign person in in this environment and um man it's, it's just wonderful it doesn't sound very topical to now though Oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I, I haven't seen it in, you know, for probably about 15 years when I watched uh, most of his stuff. And uh, I think I am, would be very interested to watch it in the current climate, just like I, I thought Intruder uh, by Corman was a totally different movie in, in a current climate than it was when I first saw it. Uh, I think that could be another one of those movies that, um, you know, it really lasts because the world, uh, you know, often cycles back to certain feelings. Absolutely. It it definitely plays different now, but it's still just a delightful movie. Yeah, uh, cool. Well, I got to rewatch that one myself. Uh, the last one on my list uh, is, you know, uh, if anyone listens to me on uh, other shows, I couldn't leave this off because uh, this film, I believe it's the best film of the decade. And that's always pretty big, uh, big statement, but it comes pretty easy, just like I thought There Will Be Blood was the best of the last day, previous. Uh it took a decade to develop the script for this film, um, and that is uh, Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Nice. Uh, it's also one of the coldest movies, but and it's sometimes hard to love a cold movie, uh, but it's it's the closest thing I've seen to a Kubrick film since Kubrick. I mean, I feel like this film, 
Uh, I, I need, I'm, I'm due for a rewatch. I, I have the, it's a Lionsgate uh, Blu-ray. It's also Amazon Prime. Um, but, you know, if you haven't seen, when I saw the trailer of this, it's a pretty oblique trailer, I knew how I was going to, I was going to feel about the film. I mean, it, it was just somebody with a pretty grand vision uh, setting out. So the novel by Michael Faber, which had become, you know, really a cult novel, uh, and I tried reading it, um, but I see why I couldn't keep reading it was the same reason the director couldn't direct that movie which is it's um very literally about a woman going out trying to you know find men to uh seduce but really she will um they said they would sit in the car and she'd push a button and they would kind of get a little uh a little shock of um some sort of chemical that would knock them and drug them out then she would take them to like a meat farm where other aliens were working and they would basically harvest the meat and so i didn't get past that and the director liked something in there. He knew there's something in this material, but he could not bring himself to make that film. Uh, and it had all sorts of people from Brad Pitt and stuff attached to that particular film. So uh, it took him about 10 years to find the visual version of that film and take it away from a literal harvesting and and make it. I, I guess it, you look if I was going to double feature this in the way that I was just talking about talking about literal pairings where two movies are really the same movie I would say it's very close to um, the man who fell to earth it's like the male to the female uh, version but this is a much more refined movie and I think it is one of the most kind of beautiful films about the birth of empathy uh, that something is alien and which the which she is, and she seduces and kills these men, and they're just obliterated. You don't know what happens to them. It's very oblique the way it's it's shown in the movie. So you, you don't know they're being harvested for food or anything. You never find out, which is great. I think that works for it. Um, and it's very beautiful the way it's done, and it's sensual and and scary and strange. Um, but there's something about her character, which is why this movie lasts. It's it and the fact that he's a great stylist filmmaker, but. Uh, she has a scene on a beach where she abandons a child and I'm not going to give too many spoilers, but there's a moment where she walks away from a, a crying child. That's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to watch in my life of watching movies. Um, you know, if you're a parent, it's pretty painful to watch and she doesn't even flinch because she's a fucking alien and it's one of the best portraits of an alien moment where you realize, Oh yeah, why would they give a shit? It has no empathy it doesn't feel it doesn't have any of the things that human humanity has the whole thing that makes us human but i feel like that moment is like when you throw the rock into the pond and from that moment even though she didn't feel anything in the direct moment i feel like there's these little ripples that start happening with her character and unlike her cohorts who are still just rounding you know humans up she's kind of goes rogue from that moment and starts to try to experience human things she meets a guy kind of goes on a little thing kind of a date with him but she's you know incapable of certain human functions uh that get in the way but through that she you start to see the birth of a, a an understanding from an alien perspective uh about maybe what makes humanity worthwhile and not worth just eating without it ever being cheesy it has a very devastating ending and i won't ruin it and it's and it's you know it goes to a really uh you know pretty dark place but all the way through the the score by Mika Levy, which is something that you know everyone tends to talk about uh, when they talk about this movie, who also I think had probably the best score of this year too with Jackie, uh, which is a horror score put on a drama, you know, a weird period piece. Um, it, it's really a really a special movie, um, and again, kind of like what you're just talking about with Brother from Another Planet. I think it is got themes of immigration. It's got almost the the reverse of the male gaze. It feels like it's the female. 
version of the gaze, even though it's a you know male director, it feels very complicated uh, because of what she's doing to the uh, the male victims in this film, and she spends a lot of the movie just driving around Scotland looking for the right guy to pick up, somebody who won't be missed, somebody who she can you know easily get her way with. Uh, and a lot of them, the way they made the film was actually like uh, hidden cameras and real actors. Some were real actors, some were real people, but it's all kind of mixed up. So it makes it hard to tell. Um, Glazer is for me, you know, if somebody said, who, what's the most exciting voice making movies right now? He's not really making movies. <laughs> he makes a movie every eight years uh, lately. Uh, but he was one of the big names in music videos when Spike Jones and uh, all these, you know, great uh, visual directors of the last few years were kind of doing music videos. He's one of them. And, you know, between this birth and sexy beast to me, all three of those films are almost perfect in their own subgenre. And so, you know, there's no one I'm more excited if I hear somebody's making a new film than what Glazer might do after this piece. But, you know, unfortunately, it didn't make money. Uh, it's It's gone on, obviously, to be really well reviewed and will certainly be a, a major cult film uh, of this period. But it came out the same week as Captain America, the second Captain America. So Scarlett Johansson was on screens, you know. Uh, playing a weird alien <laughs> and also playing, you know, the black widow. And it was, it, it was, it really impressed me about her that she took, I think it was like four years of having to be attached to this to help get it made. Cause it could never have been made at this level without a, a celebrity. But uh, I highly recommend if this one you heard was too weird or whatever, <laughs> you know, and it is, and, and I get why not everyone's going to love it, but it is, I mean, I, the, the pure cinema for our show is kind of meant as a joke. I mean, you know, but I do believe there is something in certain movies where they give you this visual uh, design of what a, what movies can do, and this film has it in absolute spades. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> hearing you talk about this movie, and I've heard it on on some other shows too. I I I think you were the one that put me onto watching it to begin with. Um, and as much as I have some issues with it, it is absolutely mesmerizing, and cinematic as we've said and it's definitely one that I want to revisit and kind of soon every time we talk about it, certain kinds of movies that we've touched on this this episode it makes me want to go back and watch it again um I think so. you hit the right word it's it's one of those films where some movies are there to almost hypnotize and that mesmer you know effect and I think uh, 2001 does it that's what 2001 yep. is it's not a movie I mean well it's a movie but it's not a it's not there for a narrative it's not there to tell you a story if you went in there with your money going oh, tell me a nice story like <laughs> Kubrick does not give a shit I feel like it's the same thing I think yeah. this is about hooking you with the way the things movies can do and, and it uses sensuality but then it uses coldness and you know aesthetic and just a shot of a bike going down a you know 100 miles an hour it, it's it's really really interesting and and i've uh this will shock you uh when you hear me say this and, and you'll find this to be true of a lot of my favorite movies i've still only seen it the one time in the theater as much as i've talked about this movie i've still only seen it the one time in the movie theater and i'm gonna watch it again but it made such an impression that uh you know i've, I've seen i watched some of the making of so i've seen other scenes again um on the disc which is a great disc but there's just some movies that like they do stay with you. It got inside me a bit, and and it's not an easy easy viewing. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, uh, I'd see it even if you hate it. That's fine. But I'd still say it's a it's an important film to watch. And uh, you know, there we got to champion some of these these filmmakers so they don't take eight years <laughs> to make another movie. You know, I agree. Like, I agree, hundred percent. There, 
as much as it's not a movie that I would count among a, like a favorite, it's it's outside of that qualification altogether. It's 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 so unique that it's like a movie that I see an absolute need for and more of them. So, like you say, sooner the better. Yeah. Um, now there's obviously, you know, we won't spend long on it because, you know, we talked up front. Like, I wasn't going to, we're not going to come in here and talk about Alien and The Abyss and movies that are fucking masterpieces. They really are. They don't need us to hur- hurrah. So just know that we weren't leaving them out because we don't love them because I think Alien is one of the greatest things ever made. Yeah. Well, and that's another reason we do that we decided on the five films because was that if if you do a top five, you're always going to upset somebody. Uh, how could you leave off this or that? Um, and really, it's we're 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 just talking about quality and not uh, or you know interesting films um, and not necessarily what's the best thing ever because um, I think there's a lot more to movies than what's the best really. And yeah. So and it changes week to week. That's the great Absolutely. thing about it. I mean, the hardest one for me to not talk about but I feel again I didn't feel I need to because I feel like people listening to this will already probably love this movie is They Live because yeah. They Live has so much going on in terms of the current climate and it's a brilliant little uh, piece of satire uh, but I also feel like everyone you know has seen it another one I was gonna you know would mention was The Hidden but I just talked about that on uh, Shockwave so it's kind of like you know had just moved past so you know there's there's so many so many sci-fi movies we'd love to hear you know some of the ones that mean mean something to you and why you know uh, that would be a cool thing to post to us uh, this time it doesn't have to be five but if you want to hit us with your five and uh, that would be awesome yeah um, we uh, we have a whole bunch of ways that you can find us online. Uh, we have a Facebook page, right? Yep, we've started one. We haven't done anything with it yet, but it's there. It's there. We have a Twitter, uh, Pure Cinema Pod. Please hit us up with any feedback at all there. Um, and then, of course, our own Twitters. I'm Bob Freelander. And, and I'm just Elric Kanan, yeah. At, at, on Twitter. Um, we're both very active there. And... Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from the listeners about alien movies or whatever. And we're both on uh, Letterboxd, and I think Letterboxd is a really fun way to kind of, you know, keep viewing what people are watching. And, you know, uh, so come find us on there. I don't remember my exact handle, but it's probably just my name. Yeah, I think I'm. if you look up my name, you'll find me there too. Uh, but this was a blast. I, I loved, uh, you know, it's only our second episode, and we have we kind of know what we're doing for the next two, so we're kind of excited on those. Uh very important that uh, to let you guys know this podcast is part of the Now Playing Network. There's a lot of great shows and, on music and film on there. Uh, you know, uh, the Directors Club was a. There's two that I really discovered the network through. Uh, I talked about one last week, uh, which is supporting characters and also the Directors Club. Uh, I haven't listened to the new incarnations with the new hosts yet, but I'm sure it's awesome. I actually the reason I'm mentioning is because I the first one I heard was later was the Jonathan Glazer episode, which is one of the last ones. Uh, and kind of got me excited about it. So, uh, you know, check it out. Uh, go like some of their shows if you're not already a, a listener, if you're looking for some good, solid uh, podcasts. Yeah, go listen to the uh, Supporting Characters interview with Mr. Danny Perry himself, if you uh, are so inclined. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a really good episode. Yes. Uh, but thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for uh, sticking around, uh, and we are really excited uh, for our topic next week, so we'll see you then.